Good morning. Um, I'm Stephanie, for those who don't know me. And I'll just get myself sorted out here. I sometimes think when we sing those beautiful words that um, if we actually really believed what we'd just have sung, you wouldn't need to be taught this morning. If you, if you really believed that you leant back into the arms of a loving father, you would have shalom with yourself. And so, um, thank you for those uh, a beautiful, beautiful worship. Okay. Because of my age, I'm very old school and I just have my, pen, my notes in a file. Very young, 2021, I imagine. We're in our second, or our, my second preach in this series, The Very Good Gospel. And my topic this morning is Shalom with Self. And I would have to suggest that in 20 minutes or whatever we take, I couldn't possibly say all there is to say about shalom with self. I, <laughs> it's a life work. It is a life's work. Um, and I, I don't want to, so I'm, I'm giving you some broad brushes, I guess. Um, and it's a snapshot of what I believe about finding shalom with ourselves and then living out of that shalom and bringing shalom to this world. The whole idea of the gospel and what the creation story was that we found and brought shalom with everything, all creation, all people, and the very world that we live in. And so we can only, as the people of God, as the followers of Jesus, we can only bring shalom when we have shalom. So, but before we start, last time I spoke, the first time the Spirit of God was spoken of in the gospel, it was a female noun, a hen that brooded over her eggs. And so, put your hand on your heart if you're happy to do that, and let's close our eyes and invite the Spirit of God to come. Father God, Mother God, Spirit of God, we invite you to come. We invite you to brood over us now as a hen will brood over her chicks. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our very souls to the compassion and the gracious love of the Father this morning. Help us to experience afresh that compassion and that kindness and that grace that you hold for each and every one of us and bring us the shalom of heaven as we are designed to carry in your beautiful, precious, and mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. I want to start with this um, quote from a, a very wise monk, a female monk called Pema Chodron. We think that the point is to pass the test or overcome the problem, but the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together again and they fall apart again. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, room for relief, room for misery, and room for joy. 
And I, I love that idea that life is a long journey. We've talked about this before, that perhaps at the end of the li our lives, our lives will make sense. But that there's something to be found in accepting that there is room for it all. That we are not supposed to have, you know, hashtag blessed lives. That's actually not my lived experience. And I don't believe it's a holy experience. We are blessed, but that doesn't mean that everything's good all the time. The only hashtag blessed person that I know in this world is our dog, Monty, who lives his best life every day. Literally, if you saw that dog in Wallace Park, you would know that he was hashtag blessed. He's loving life. Outside of that, I hold a bit of a mmm when I hear that. So if you want to come to Lisbon and see hashtag blessed life, come and meet me and Monty at half seven in the morning. It's all good. I actually find that very freeing idea that I'm not supposed to be yay-haying all the time, that I'm not supposed to be saying this is amazing. It's not true. Life is hard and confusing and painful and beautiful all at once. And I take it from the nods around the room that I'm connecting with you. Because that is life and life is beautiful. And if we made our peace with that, perhaps we wouldn't try and control our lives so much. Perhaps we wouldn't try and be in charge so much if we made our peace with the beauty that is life in all of its goodness. Perhaps we'd be different. I'm not going to read the creation story again. We read it a couple of weeks ago and, and Dave spoke of it again. Genesis 2, 25 to 3, verse 7. This was the shalom. This was how it was supposed to be. And the last thing I just want to draw your attention to is... Mm -hmm. Okay, we've got the wrong bit there. That's all right. The, what I wanted to say was that before the fall, they knew they were naked and it wasn't a problem. The one boundary that God put in the garden was do not touch, do not eat of the tree of life. And there's something about living free and living in boundaries. There's something about living free and having choice, but also trusting in a greater good. And all God asked for was leave that tree alone. And humanity, we weren't able to do that. We thought that we knew better. And so that was the fall because we decided that we knew the way, we knew what was to happen. And suddenly, when we ate of that tree, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they then sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the picture of shalom that comes in Genesis in the creation story was a kingdom of abundance, a kingdom where everything was provided, that God put boundaries, as, we, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago. He didn't get rid of the sea monsters, the sources of our fear and our anxiety, but he boundaried them. He didn't make it all good. He said, I will put a line. I will hold you. I am over you. That was the very good, the Tav Mayo that we talked about. And he said that all relationships were very good and were interconnected. But after the fall, shame became part of the human experience. And when shame comes into our lives, it breaks the connections we have with each other and it breaks the connections we have with God. And when we find shame and we experience shame and we live out of shame, we are alone. 
And that is where we went wrong. That is the human experience. Shame is what we would call a social con construct or concept. It happens between people. And the beautiful thing is that it is also healed between people. So you will walk free of your shame when you own your story, you own your past, you own your present, and you share it with someone else. And suddenly shame has no power. Carl Jung talked about shame as a swampland of the soul. And Brené Brown uses that as well in her work on vulnerability. And she said, we're supposed to get into the swampland, we're supposed to walk about it, we're supposed to get to know it, but we're not supposed to set up tent in it. We're not supposed to live there. And some of you this morning perhaps are living in the swampland of shame. And that is not the design of the Lord. That is not where you are to live. You're to know it, you're to own it, and then you're to walk free. We all have our own fig leaves. I think I spoke, I've spoken on shame before and I don't want to um, repeat a lot of that, but we all have our own fig leaves. Some of them are good, but it's, it's how we cover ourselves up. It's how we talk about ourselves. It's how we, we walk away from our authentic selves. So some of us talk lots about our jobs and our power and our security and our success. I talk with people every day who get to their 60s and they suddenly realize that all the things they thought were really important and would make a good life are meaningless. Absolutely meaningless because the fig leaf that they have put on to cover who they truly are is power or money, success, career. We also know that shame leads to phobias, to addictions, to substance misuse. Because there's something in us that doesn't know how to share who we are with others, and so we cover ourselves with a fig leaf. Gabor Mate is one of the great thinkers these days on trauma and addiction. He is a beautiful, faithful man, and he's um, probably in his 70s now. And this quote that's up behind me, trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside you as a result of what happens to you. Because we could all be in the same traumatic event tomorrow, but we will not all walk out of it the same. So the, what trauma is, is what happens inside us. And very often shame is the outcome of a trauma of traumatic experiences. And we can hold trauma and we can hold shame because of things we have done. But we can also hold trauma and shame in our bodies because of things that have been done to us. And the healing and the recovering from that is a long and slow and gentle journey. And I speak very respectfully to those of us in the room who have had harm done to them. It was never their choice. And shame will have been part of the aftermath of that. And shame will be what you carry. It's perhaps what kept it in the dark and kept it secret. But shame is not what you're supposed to carry. And there is something beautiful in coming to the one who knows your past, your present, but also speaks to your future and allows you to leave go of your trauma. So what do we do with all this stuff? Well, I love Gabor Mate. I watch his videos all the time. I go to his trainings. 
He, his big thing is compassion-focused therapy. If you want to read anything new on therapeutic treatments these days, it's all about compassion. And there's something that makes me sing about that inside, because I think compassion, compassion is what was in the Bible, compassion and grace and mercy. And so I want to read and to learn a little bit and think with you a little bit on the story of Hagar, which Kerry is now going to read to us from the message, and it should be up behind us as well. Thank you, Kerry. Sarah, Abraham's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. She had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. Sleep with my maid. Maybe I can get a family from her. Abram agreed to do what Sarah said. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took her Egyptian maid, Hagar, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. Abram had been living 10 years in Canaan when this took place. He slept with Hagar and she got pregnant. When Hagar learned she was pregnant, she looked down on her mistress. Sarah told Abram, it's all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. I put my maid in bed with you and the minute she knows she's pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. May God decide which of us is right. You decide, said Abram, your maid is your business. Sarah was abusive to Hagar, and Hagar ran away. An angel of God found her beside a spring in the desert. It was the spring on the road to Shur. He said, Hagar, maid of Sarah, what are you doing here? She said, I'm running away from Sarah, my mistress. The angel of God said, go back to your mistress put up with her abuse. He continued, I'm going to give you a big family, children past counting. From this pregnancy, you'll get a son. Name him Ishmael. For God heard you, God answered you. He'll be a bucking bronco of a man, whatever that is. <laughs> a real fighter, fighting and being fought. Always stirring up trouble, always at odds with his family. She answered God by name, praying to the God who spoke to her, you're the God who sees me. Yes, he saw me, and then I saw him. That's how the desert spring got named God Alive Sees Me Spring. That spring is still there between Kadesh and Barad. Hagar gave Abram a son. Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave him a son, Ishmael. Thank you, Kerry. Thank you, Kerry. I think Nate and Chris will turn it off. There's lots in the story of Hagar. I don't want to particularly go into it in depth, but she was an Egyptian slave. She was a handmaid of Abraham and Sarah. She was nothing. She wasn't called by name in her family. She was simply a concubine, something to produce a baby for Abraham. She was abused, neglected, used in all of the ways we understand. And she ran away, she'd had enough. And when she ran away, 
When she ran away, she was found, and the angel of the Lord found her. And the angel of the Lord asked her, where are you, where are you coming from, and where are you going? The, angel, the Lord asked her, what's your past, and what's your future? And Hagar was so stuck in all that had happened to her that she simply responded in her past. She had no idea what her future was. No idea what her future was. And the Lord said to her, God sees me. Go back to your mistress. Put up with the abuse. I'm going to give you a big family, children past counting. From this pregnancy, you'll get a son. So what God said to her was, I know your past. I know your present, but I am speaking to your future. And so Hagar carried shame. Hagar carried abuse. Hagar had been misaligned and she was an outcast. God knew all that, but he also knew her future. She couldn't see it. And I've been thinking about that this week and thinking, those of us who are stuck in the now, we don't know that we have a future. But if we bring ourselves and open ourselves to the God of Israel, to the beautiful one, he will speak to our future. He knows our future and he will, he will take us there a step at a time. I love the fact that the message talks about you're going to have a son who'll be a bucking bronco of a man, basically means a nightmare, which I kind of liked because it probably reminded Hagar of her defiance. And it's so even the name of her child was to say, look, it's actually, you know, there's a little bit of you is going to live on, Hagar, and that is good in your son. He, Ishmael, obviously, the, his very name means God hears, and it takes the focus back to his mother. You are the one who sees me. You are the one who knows me. Her only intimate relationship, this socially marginalized, rejected, abused, broken woman, her only real and intimate relationship was with Elroy. She was the first person who used a name other than Yahweh in the story of God. So she named God, you see me, you know me, and in knowing you, I, I am known, I am seen. They have a relationship. And so I want us to think very simply. As I said at the beginning, shalom with self. We, have, we are driven by our ego, by our needs. We have these fig leaves. We cover ourselves. We think of these values. But actually, our true freedom, our true shalom will come when we accept who we are in the eyes of the Lord. Who we are in the eyes of the Lord. And so this week, as I've been preparing for this um, preach, I've woken up every morning singing a little song from the vineyard in the 90s, and we're going to sing it now as we come to the table. And I said to Stephen yesterday, if all I did for 20 minutes was sing these words over everyone, and they actually imbibed them, that would be enough. He was slightly concerned at that possibility, so it didn't happen. Um, and so we're going to, the band are going to come and we're going to sing. I want to speak these words over us. Because in psychology today, compassion is the answer to trauma. Compassion is the answer to addiction. Compassion is the answer to abuse. And where are we? We are the children of one the Lord is slow to anger and swift in love. 
He is compassionate to all that he has made. He looks at us and he sees his beautiful, precious children and he takes our transgressions and he removes them from us. From as far as the east is to the west. You don't carry them anymore. They're not yours. They're gone. And if he has taken them and put them away where you can't be seen, why do you hold shame? Why do you hold on to them? Why do you define yourself by them? There is no need. Come to the table where our shalom truly begins with the one who sees us. Let's stand. Just like every week, we're going to invite you to come and take the bread and the wine and take it back. We will eat it together at the end. But we're going to sing through this beautiful song several times and then we're going to take communion together because shame has no place when we are interconnected. Our sin has no power when we remain interconnected and we are family together. So let's come to the one who sees us and come together as family and let's sing. <laughs>